welcome to the sermon podcast for Ashburn Baptist Church, Chicago. We pray the message you are about to hear is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. Oh, Ashburn, I absolutely love being your pastor. Like, it is one of my very favorite titles, being your pastor. And I do believe that God has a word for you today. I believe he has a word for you today because the same passage I'm about to open up is a word that he had for me. So everything I'm about to tell you, God has told me, and it was motivating to me. I pray that it's motivating to you as well. But uh, I also love the title of being a husband. That might be my favorite title. Right up there with being a husband, man, I love being a dad. Love being a dad. And I've had the opportunity to hang out with Briggs on this week. We went to an arcade, had a great time. We went to the Shed Aquarium free days. Shout out the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois for letting us go for free. It was only $3. It was fun. We saw a lot of fish. I saw a lot of fish that I've seen before. If you notice that, Bob, you were there too. They look the same. They haven't changed. Fish don't change. I, I didn't see anything in there this time that I didn't see in there last time. But you know, as a parent, there's just something different about seeing something through the eyes of your child. It was the same stupid fish that I've seen over and over again, but it was like a brand new fish. Man, that thing was swimming faster and cooler than it's ever swam before because I was seeing it through the eyes of my child. My perspective changed. Man, I love how alive God's word is. Do you know the Bible's a living book? It's a discerner of our thoughts, a discerner of our hearts and our minds. It is alive and quick and powerful. And have you ever been reading a passage in the Bible, maybe a passage that you've read before, only this time when you read it, you saw something just a little bit different? Kind of like going to the aquarium with your son and seeing the same fish that you've seen over and over again. This time, it just hit a little bit different. Well, that happened to me recently. I read this story in the Bible, a story that you can find in Luke 16. So if you want to take your Bible, you can go there. That's the story we're going to be looking at today in Luke 16. It's a story I've read before, a story that you have probably read before. Only this time, God made it clear that he had a new perspective for me to see. Our story in Luke chapter 16 has two primary characters, and they lived two very different lifestyles. And we know that because that's what the Bible says one of the characters' lifestyle is described as the rich man. The other guy, well, the not-so-rich man. In fact, the Bible goes as far as to say as he is the poor man. The rich man and the poor man. We find the rich man in verse 19 of Luke 16. And we quickly find what kind of lifestyle he lived. Luke 16, 19, there was a rich man clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. The one word that you could use to describe this guy wealthy. He had money. He was one of the wealthiest and most noble men in all of the community, and everybody knew it. He dressed nicer than everybody. He had the nicer house than everybody. He had the coolest parties with the most successful people invited. He had everything on earth. We go one verse later, and we find the not-so-rich man, the poor man, the second primary character in our story, and the contrast is immediately noticeable. Look at verse 20. And at the rich man's gate, <clears throat> there laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered in sores. Lazarus, who desired to be fed with that which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked the sores of Lazarus. Man, you can immediately see that this man's situation was just different than the rich man's situation. They were not the same person. And the poor man doesn't have very much in this story. In fact, the Bible says that he would lay at the gates of the rich man, hoping to just get a crumb of what he ate. 
But in our story, he has one thing that the rich man doesn't have, a name. The poor man has a name. His name is Lazarus. And in our story at this point, Lazarus doesn't have much more than just a name. What a contrast. They were just different. But even though they were different, they do have something in common. And I want you to see it because they both die. Everybody faces death. Lazarus seems to die first. But in the same verse, we find the rich man dies too. Look at it in verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also dies and was buried. Hey, you know, nobody escapes death. It is the great equalizer of all men. It pays no attention to your age, pays no attention to your wealth. It pays no attention to your notoriety. It comes for all men. The Bible actually says that it's appointed unto once every man to die. Every person will die, and that includes me. And that includes you. That includes the rich man, and it includes the poor man. It actually says that life is like a vapor. It's like a mist. You think you have it, and then you don't. It's gone. And the older I get, the more fragile I realize life is. Maybe you have too. People close to me have started to pass away. Even as a young boy, I can remember hearing the news that the little brother of my then best friend, who was maybe six or seven years old, was riding an ATV in his backyard, hit the side of a hill, and that thing came on top of him and crushed his lungs. He died on impact. Death paid no attention to his age. On vacation a few years ago, we went whitewater rafting in Colorado. Just two rafts ahead of us, there was a family on vacation traveling from California. They had just gotten there. It was one of the very first activities that they had. They hit some rapids. The grandpa in the boat fell over the side, hit the cold water, and when he did, he had a heart attack. Caused him to take in one giant gulp of air, allowing water to enter into his lungs, and he never made it out of the river. Death paid no attention to his schedule. My dad's best friend is probably one of the healthiest people that I have ever known. He played in men's soccer leagues all of his life, all the way up till age 55. He could dunk a basketball all the way till his last days. He was an avid runner who ate extremely healthy, and a few years ago, he got the news of brain cancer. Three months later, he was gone. Death paid no attention to his fitness. We cannot outrun death. It is the equalizer of all men. The rich man and the poor man, despite their differences, both still died. And when they died, they both faced eternity. While on earth, they lived very different lives. And unfortunately, that would not change in eternity either. We find that in Luke chapter 16 and verse 23, where the Bible says, The rich man in hell, being in torments, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham and Lazarus afar off. The rich man dies finds himself in a place called hell, a place of fear and fire and finality. And as Luke describes it, a place of torments. And the first thing he asks for is just a single drop of water. Just a drop of water so that his tongue could be cooled in the midst of the flame. But the first thing that he sees, Lazarus. But Lazarus didn't face the same torment that he faced. Lazarus was in a better place. Listen, don't miss this today. Life is not about what we have. It's about who we have. First John actually says it like this. It says, whoever has Jesus has life. 
And whoever does not have Jesus does not have life. And if you have Jesus in your life, then you and I have everything that we need. And as your responses are showing me, that's a perspective you've heard before. That's a perspective you've seen before. That's a perspective when you read this story that you thought about before. As a person, Jesus is everything that we need. And I agree. Amen. He is. But this time when I read the story, I realized something new. As a person, Jesus is everything that I need. That is true and will always be true. But as a church, as Ashburn, Chicago, right here in this place, as I read through the passage this time, I realized something. Hell has what we need. Hell has what we need because there are times when I've looked in my own life and I've looked in the lives of our church and I've seen complacency. There have been times where I've looked in my own life and in the lives of our church and seen apathy. There are times when I've looked into my own life and seen legalism and times where I've looked into the lives of our church and seen legalism. And I guess an easier way to say it that kind of hits home is hell is on fire and the churches are not. When Karen and I were in high school, we went to Mexico for a missions trip. While we were packing our bags, we tried to think of every possible scenario that we would be in, and we tried to pack our bags accordingly. Like, what kind of clothes would we need to wear? What kind of food would we be eating? So what kind of food do we need to be packing? Questions like, do they have toilet paper, and should I bring any? Man, I loaded up a giant suitcase with all kinds of stuff, but I was sure to leave a little bit of space. Does anybody have any idea why I would leave a little bit of space in my suitcase? Souvenirs. You said it. Souvenirs. I was going to leave a little extra space in my bag to bring stuff back with me. Church, I want to ask you this morning to pack your bags with me. Because we're going to go on a little bit of a trip. You say, Josh, we're going. Uh-uh. I'd rather you just see it when we get there. Okay. Well, I'm trying to pack. Is it hot or cold? It's hot. <laughs> So I'd pack your shorts, I'd pack your tank tops, I'd bring a lot of water, like a lot of water, and maybe a little holy water, because like, why not? Uh, bring your Bible, uh, it'll bring you some comfort, maybe bring you some luck, and whatever you're going to bring, just, uh, just leave a little bit of space, a little space for some souvenirs, because you and I are going to hell. Now, before you freak out, not literally, figuratively. We're going to go to this place called hell through the eyes of the rich man in Luke 16. And I want you to pack your suitcase and bring everything that you need to go to this place of torment. But I want you to leave a little bit of space. Keep it in the back of your mind that hell has what our church needs. And if we bring those things back with us, I am 100% convinced that God is going to use this place. He's going to use you. and He's going to use me in a spectacular way. And as we begin our journey through hell today, through the eyes of the rich man, the first thing that we see that we need is a clear perspective on life. A clear perspective on life. I want you to see what we see through the eyes of the rich man. And in hell, being in torment he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. Make no mistake, hell is real. Make no mistake, heaven is real. 
And the rich man has been in the torments of hell for thousands of years at this point. And as we make our way approaching him, you can almost hear the whispers coming from his lips. As he says, why didn't I live like it was real? Why didn't I live like it was real? You know, church, many of us have been gloriously saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We believe in the reality of heaven and we believe in the reality of hell. We have been saved by the perfect work of Jesus Christ for the atonement of our sins. We believe it's real. But we're not really living like it. You know, I believe there's a healthier perspective on life in the eternity of hell than there is in the church right now. Because in hell right now, there are no doubts about what really mattered while they were on earth. But if you look to your left and to your right, we could probably find a dozen or a couple dozen different reasons to live life even in this place. Hell has what we need. There are two things that really matter in life. That we know Jesus and that we make Jesus known. Everything else pales in comparison to those two things. And the most important thing is that we know Jesus. The most important thing is that we know him personally. And I'm not ignorant enough to believe that every person in this room is saved. Because the Bible talks about life after death. And it talks about life after death among people who walked the walk and talked the talk. And it says this, God, look at all the great things I did for you. God, look how I worshiped you. God, look how I honored you. And then God responds to all of their great deeds by saying, but I never knew you. And how tragic would it be for somebody to sit in this place to be a part of Ashburn, Chicago, who pretends to know God and lives in confidence that they do based off the great things that they do for God. Friend, when it comes to salvation, it does not matter what you do and matters what Jesus did. It's about what Jesus did. There is salvation in no other name except through Jesus Christ our Lord. And there could be somebody here right now who has devoted their lives to good deeds and never known Jesus. I am begging you to quit playing. I am begging you to quit pretending You might think you're fooling us, but you cannot fool God. God doesn't see like I see. He doesn't see like you see. We see the outside. God sees the inside. He sees the heart. And so today, if you are sure that you are unsure of heaven, if you are unsure that Jesus is yours and that you know him with your heart, go to God today. Confess your sin. You are a sinner. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. But God loves you so much that he died for you. With that same heart, believe in Jesus as God. Believe that Jesus died for you. Believe that he rose again from you. Believe that his work is enough because it is. There is salvation in him and in him alone. It's the most important thing in life to know Jesus. And in hell, there are no doubts about that. They ask themselves over and over again, why didn't I live like it was real? Why aren't we living like it's real? See, that leads us to the second most important thing in life, and that's to make Jesus known. The rich man stops his quiet whispering as we approach him. 
why didn't I live like, like it was real? He looks up at us in disbelief that we're even there. His whispering turns to an urgent, compelling yell that says, you need to go to my family. My family. It seems that's all that's been on his mind over the last thousands of years is his family. It's the same thing he cried out about in Luke 16, so we should not be surprised. He says, I beg you, Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house because I have five brothers. Let him warn them. Let them come so that they don't come to this place of torment. Okay, surrounded by flame, surrounded by pain, surrounded by suffering, surrounded by hurt, surrounded by torment, all that the rich man can think about is family. My family. My family's eternity. Church, I hope you left some space for some souvenirs because hell has what we need. They have a clear perspective on life. And they have a clear passion for the lost. As I started viewing this story through a different perspective, I realized something that was heartbreaking. See, isn't it heartbreaking to realize that hell has a greater urgency for the lost than the church does? Isn't it heartbreaking to realize that hell has a greater plan for evangelism than the church does? Oh, we have Jesus. We just don't really share him. That's why we go days, weeks, months, years without, without ever sharing our faith. Oh, we attend church, but we treat it more like a social club with fun events. We don't even know the names of our neighbors. When was the last time we really prayed with urgency for the salvation of someone in our lives. Like, think about it right now. Who in your life doesn't know Jesus? Who in your life is unsaved? And when was the last time you shared Jesus with them? When was the last time you urgently tried to share with them the reality of heaven and hell? When was the last time you went before God with absolute urgency in your voice saying, God, save them. God, let them be open to your word. God, let them hear the gospel. God, use me to share you with them. Do you remember how I said death is the great equalizer of all men? Well, today, October 2nd, 2022, around 160,000 people will slip into eternity. One. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. According to that statistic, while I just counted to ten, twenty people just took their last breath. And I'm just afraid, church, that some of us are just more concerned with other things. Like I'm worried we're more concerned about what's for lunch than what God has for us out of his word. Can I show you a verse that's always been convicting to me? It's how Paul views the lost, the apostle Paul. He says it in Romans 8. He says, I'm telling you the truth, I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. I got a great sorrow. I have unceasing anguish in my heart because I wish that I were accursed, cut off from Jesus Christ 
for the sake of my brothers. He says, I, I'm sorrowful. My heart is heavy. Because I'd like to trade places with people in my life that are unsaved. I want them to know Jesus so bad that I'll give up my place for them. You know, Jesus' last command on earth was to go out to all the world and tell people that he's the way, the truth, and the life. That's not a suggestion, it's a command. A command that we should filter every part of our life through. And Ashburn, Chicago, church, I think it's time that we start making Jesus' last command our first priority. There's nothing more important. That leads us to our final souvenir. The final thing that we're bringing back with us from this horrible place. Oh, the rich man has tried what we're about to talk about before. So I'm sure he's going to try again when he sees us. In Luke 16, when he thinks about his family and he thinks about their eternity, and then he realizes he can't go to them and tell them that there is a life after death. He says, well, if I can't go, Abraham, can you send Lazarus? Because if you send Lazarus, they'll recognize him. They'll know he died, but they'll know he's back and they'll believe everything he says. Can you just send Lazarus so that my family can hear about you and about these places? He says this in Luke 16, I beg you, Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers so he can warn them so that they won't come to this place of torment. And man, as we make our way towards him, as his whispers turn to urgency, yelling out, my family, I am so sure that he would ask us, hey, if you're going back, can you tell my family? Hey, if you're going back, can you just go let them know that all of this is real? You see, in hell, there is a clear plead for laborers. And church is your pastor. That's the thing I'm bringing back with me from this place. I'm bringing that back with me. I'm taking some of the responsibility of our failure on my own shoulders because maybe I haven't been clear enough that I need you. Our church needs you. Your family needs you. Your city needs you. Your church needs you. Here's what Jesus said. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, there are few. So pray earnestly to God of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I was so nervous to preach this message because it's a little bit more in your face than usual. Aaron's the one who convinced me to do it. So if you don't like it, go to him. I've uh, been praying for laborers here at Ashburn for some time now. I've been praying for laborers in Chicago for a while now. I've been praying that our church becomes as passionate about eternity and life as hell is. And today I'm asking you two things. I'm asking you to know Jesus. Like if there are any doubts in your mind about whether heaven or hell are real, they are very, very real. And there is no good deed you can do. Doesn't matter what you believe or think, one day your life will end and you will know it's all very real. I'm begging you to know Jesus and know him, really know him. He'll change your life. But don't just know him. Make him known. 
Make him known. This is one of my favorite stories to tell. It's one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard. In 1949, John Currier was found guilty of a crime, murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Later on, he was transferred and paroled to work on a farm near Nashville, Tennessee. In 1968, John Currier's sentence was terminated, and there was a letter written that bared that good news that was sent to him, but it was never delivered. And for the next 10 years, John Currier worked to pay off a debt that was already paid for. After that decade of hard work, a state patroller learned about the letter, learned about how it was never delivered to John Courier. He hand-delivered it to himself, to he himself, and let him know, you are a free man. Church, today we are living in a world with a lot of people trying to pay off a debt that's already been paid for. Oh, they don't know it yet, but they're free. Free men and women through Jesus Christ, and we have the letter of good news that we bear. And it is our job to go into all of the world to tell everybody about him. Church, I'm begging you. Let's not let this place be a place that's not on fire for Jesus Christ. Here in just a minute, we're gonna have an invitation. After the invitation, I'm gonna be giving you two very specific ways that you can use this message in your life right away. Two ways to respond right away. But right now, during the invitation, I'm not asking for any of that. All I'm asking for you is if God has spoken to you in any way, to go to God and surrender and say, God, I'm yours. I want a clear perspective on life. I'm going to live mine to know you and to make you known. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have any prayer requests or questions about your spiritual life, we would love to pray for you. Or if you would just like information about visiting us in person, please email us at chicago at ashburnbaptist.com or visit our website, ashburnchicago.church.